Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is our COVID-19 online learning sessions as we are not doing face-to-face stuff here at WLC. Uh, If you are a subscriber to uh, Let the Bird Fly, uh, we do apologize if you're getting too much content. Please don't unsubscribe. It's uh, important that we have subscribers. Um, You can just kind of adjust to only get the the latest one and then it it won't fill up your your phone or your computer or whatever. Uh, If you're a student, this is in lieu of the lectures, and we thought that uh, it'd be better that you hear two voices instead of one of us. And so uh, I thank uh, Dr. Johnson for coming on and helping me with Theology 105, Introduction to Scripture, and I've been coming on to some of his classes today. We are now at the Passion of Christ, Lesson 3.5, and uh, we're going to start in the Garden of Gethsemane. So where we left off, Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. He had changed the Passover into what we know today as the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. When he said, this is my body, this is my blood, he um, said, one of you is going to betray me. And then they go out and Gethsemane, and there they're going to pray. And guess what? It's Peter, James, and John, and Jesus is praying. And guess what? They fall asleep again. And Jesus prays so passionately here. He prays for basically three things. He prays for his disciples. He prays for the world. That includes you and me. And then he prays for himself. And let's concentrate on the last one. When he prays for himself, he prays, is there any other way this cup can be taken away from me, but not my will, but yours be done, Father? And, um, my students know about the chalice in the ancient world because we talked about the cupbearer, the cupbearer in the um, in the in the story of Joseph. He was the one that would uh, that was in prison with Joseph and eventually got released. And they're like, what is a cupbearer? How is this like an official position? Well, if you're going to assassinate somebody in the ancient world, you're going to poison their their wine. That's how that that was the easiest way to do it. And so the cupbearer... Not just in the ancient world, necessarily, uh, Micah. Uh, well, yes. It, it happens, How is your diet cook? It happens in the Ukraine. Take, take another <laughs> sip for me, Mike. Um, would you like to take a sip first? No, no I don't know right. if you're, I, don't, I don't know if you have I know you like Diet Coke, and I don't want to... Uh... <laughs> um, you were gone, and your, your Diet Mountain Dew was left there uh, unattended, by the way. Yeah, but you don't know how to produce these sessions, so I know you need me at least for a little while. Good point. Um so you're going to poison someone's cup. So the cupbearer takes a sip kind of thing. That's, and that becomes kind of a position that was, uh, and I'm kind of reading, reading into this history, but, uh, an important person, right? A confidant because the, the king at least could trust the cupbearer. So this imagery of poison in a cup is part of the ancient world. And so it would have been, wouldn't have been odd for Jesus to use that imagery. Uh, it seems odd to us. What does he mean by cup? Well, the wrath of God is in the cup. It's talking about the crucifixion. Is there any other way that there we can save the world, Father, without me dying on the cross? And the answer was no. Um, and the reason for that is because in order for God to be just and merciful, this is how it's got to work, that there must be a punishment. There must be blood, but it's not going to be your blood. It's going to be God's own blood. And so that way justice is served, but then mercy is given. And notice that he prays the hardest of all the petitions, thy will be done. Um, and when we get to prayer, we'll talk about that a little bit more, what that, that, that real important petition in the Lord's prayer, thy will be done, what that says, what we're, we're saying is God, you know, whatever I pray for, we want it to be according to your will. Uh, ignore what I said, if it's going to be against your will. 
And so in this very passionate prayer that he that he prays, he, he asks for any other way, and the answer is no. And in uh, Renaissance paintings, often you'll see in Jesus praying and the, uh, the disciples slumbering, and here comes an angel down from heaven carrying a cup. And that chalice is full of the wrath of God. The answer was no. And in the classic divine service on Sunday mornings in the church, there is a chalice there for Holy Communion. And at one point, the pastor turns around and I would hold the chalice up to the people with a, a, the wafer. So we're talking about the Passover, body and blood of Christ. Make the sign of the cross with the wafer above the chalice and say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And I taught my people to think, should we think about Gethsemane here, that, that, that this cup should be filled with God's wrath, with punishment for your sins. But Jesus drank it to its dregs and then replaced it with his life-giving blood. And so this is uh, uh, the, the gospel right in a kind of a nutshell right there. Um, one more thing about his prayer in Gethsemane, he's starting to to go through this passionate thing. So that's why we call it the passion of Christ. He's he's feeling the guilt of the world, right? And we are told, uh, I believe it's in Luke or I think it's in Luke or maybe, yeah, maybe Mark, where we hear um, that Jesus was praying so passionately that beads of sweat as thick as blood fell from his forehead to the ground, pregnant with the guilt of the world, pregnant with concerns for the world. Just think about how God is so passionately thinking about you, thinking about you. He berates the disciples for sleeping. Why can't you keep awake for one hour? Get up. Here comes my betrayer. And here comes Judas with some soldiers from the the kind of, not the palace guard, but the, the guard of the Sanhedrin. He has already betrayed Jesus, and he is going to indicate which one is Jesus, right? They don't, they don't live in modern media world. They're not quite sure which one is which. Judas is going to go up and kiss him on the cheek like a European kiss, and that is going to be the one that they are going to, that they they are going to arrest. But then here comes Peter, the theologian of glory, once again. Um, Wade, you want to tell us about uh, the theologian of glory, Peter? He keeps, he just hasn't learned his lesson quite yet. As far as now we're hearing, he's going to he's going to cut off Malchus's ear. Oh yeah, yeah. sorry, I was my not hand, paying attention. My again. hand gesture wasn't raising my hand. It was I was frustrated at a dummy mistake I made. Go ahead, Peter. Sometimes I make mistakes, Mike. It's terrible. Um, yeah, no, Peter uh, again and again uh, is going to be a, a roller coaster ride uh, of faith, and so you know I feel bad for Peter here too because sometimes Jesus is talking about swords. Sometimes he's saying stuff like you shouldn't have a sword. Uh, Peter had said, Lord, I will not abandon you. And uh, and, and so there's this is a, a swirling amount of emotion and a lot of events going on at, at once. And uh, and so it's, I, I think we got to be somewhat understanding. Um, but we see again, Peter can't get out of his head that this is not going to be an earthly kingdom, that Christ is not going to be uh, coming to power in a... Uh, in a uh, what's a good way to put it? He's not going to be an earthly ruler, an earthly king. And so uh, we get this interesting account. Peter's going to cut off Malchus' ear. And uh, Jesus is kind of like, oh, Peter, I am puts it back on. I always think this is a touching thing Jesus does too because in the midst of being betrayed and arrested... He's still like, uh, man, uh, that guy, life's going to be harder with just one ear. And so he puts his ear back. 
and how how is he going to know through hearing right and yeah. so i think it's symbolic there that he that he heals those ears and you know peter's a big man on campus with with, with a sword you know you talk about somebody like uh uh you know you got a you got a gun and all of a sudden you're 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 a big man fight with your fists right isn't that from uh, well but they were outnumbered That's i right. mean here it makes sense he is but but there's something he, he he's a big man on campus with his with his sword but later he is going to be He's going to cower in fear at a little girl's accusation. You know, uh, remember the movie Friday, right? And the the old guy, the the OG is. Are you talking about Ice Cube? Yeah, the yeah. OG is like. Oh, and they're gonna have the fist fight at the end. Well, he's like, he's like, you guys, you young guys with your guns or whatever. In my day, we fought with our fists, right? You know, and uh, I always think about that. Uh, that you know, w- with a weapon in your hand, you're kind of a, you're kind of a big man, but you take that away, and Peter cowers in fear. So, um. Get behind me, Satan. You don't need, uh, Jesus said to Peter earlier in, in, in the Gospels, uh, you're getting in the way of this, right? This is not how this is going to be accomplished. It's not going to be an earthly kingdom with, with war, with an army, with all this kind of stuff. It is going to be something backwards to you. And this is a message throughout Scripture. Um, uh, we talked about the the backwardsness of the of the uh, the bronze serpent story, and how backwards it's going to be when Jesus dies on the cross. That that is going to be the ultimate good. So Jesus is arrested, and then he goes on a few trials. He's going to be on trial between two high priests. There's two high priests at this time. We won't get into those details right now. That's too much for uh, theology 105, and not that important. And eventually, he's going to be put on trial before the Roman governor Pilate. When he is in the court of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin we just defined as kind of the leading council of the Jewish people at this time, uh, that'll suffice for um, our purposes right here. And he's in this court, and he's in, in on trial, and people are falsely accusing him. And notice that they're doing this under night. This is clandestine. He's not doing this out, and they're not doing this out in the open. They're doing this because they know that they're not doing what is right, at least legally. Jesus has no due process here, right? There's no, there's no lawyer for Jesus. There's no uh, witnesses for Jesus' side. In fact, there are people who are uh, giving false witnesses against him. He's spit on, he's beaten, he's mocked, um, and he's interrogated. And just, oh, just a, a, a fantastically dramatic scene. Uh, not fantastic for Peter, though. Peter is out in the courtyard and warming himself by a fire. Think like a trash can, you know, is on fire there, and people in the middle of the night are warming themselves. And they're trying to figure out what's going on in there. And apparently Jesus could see out into the courtyard at least at one point. And remember that uh, Jesus, we didn't mention this last time uh, specifically, but you had it in your reading that Jesus... After Peter said, "I'll never, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll go, uh, you know, I'll go even unto death for you." Um, Jesus says, uh, "You're going to betray me three times before the morning, before the rooster crows." And uh, uh, Peter is out there in the courtyard, and this girl says, "I know you. I I seen you with Jesus." Or, or I, what gives you away is your Galilean accent. And each time, Peter denies that he knows Jesus. That girl should have been minding her own business. Yeah. And so he does three times before the rooster crows, and Jesus gives him this look, right? I mean, this must have been the look of all looks, right? You know what what Peter should have said at that moment? Hmm. Snitches get stitches. (laughs) Um, Yeah, except he was on the outside, you know. But he had a knife. Yeah, yeah. well, I wonder, that is a good question. What happened to the knife? 
Oh, maybe he left it behind. He left it behind with um, Still probably could Mark's, have taken a little girl. Mark's clothes, right? Yeah, it would have been like, just be, you be quiet, little girl. Yeah, but that's the point, right? That he is a big man um, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and now he cowers in fear at a girl's accusation. The rooster crows, and he runs away. And um, Peter really is not the same until... Not even when he sees Jesus resurrected. We'll talk about that next time. But it's not until he gets the Spirit, Pentecost, right? And he needs the Spirit uh, through the Word of God to strengthen his faith. He is, he is rightfully weeping and sobbing. He has finally starting to learn his lesson that he cannot trust himself. He can't be a theologian of glory. He has to be a theologian of the cross. And so Jesus now is abandoned for the most part. Um, uh, John and the Marys are going to be there at the crucifixion, but everybody else has deserted him right now, um, and they have cowardly run away. Um, Jesus, uh, let's fast forward, and Jesus goes before Pilate. Uh, Pilate is reluctant to condemn Jesus. Now, Pilate's not a good dude. Sometimes when you first read this, you're like, ah, Pilate's trying to be, you know, due process and trying to do what's right. Pilate does not have a good reputation. Um, he had been a pretty hard ruler. Um, he had, there were some uh, certain scenes, uh, events in the past in his rule um, that, he, that he did not do well. Uh, the Jewish people did not trust him. They did not like him. And he doesn't seem very trustworthy, and he doesn't like the Jewish people either. His job is to keep peace, and if he can't get get peace, then he's going to be uh, he's going to be transferred to something and be demoted to to a different post in the Roman Empire. And so he doesn't want this problem, but he also does have a sense of justice. He can't figure out why the people are so angry at Jesus. He doesn't quite get why why he's on trial. And the reason the Jews have, uh, the leaders of the Jews have brought him up to Pilate is because they don't have the right to execute him, right? And so they want the Romans to do that dirty work. And uh, there's a lot going on here that you read, but here, here are some highlights. Um, uh, Jesus uh, is being interrogated by Pilate, and Pilate can't, can't get anything out of Jesus. And Pilate at once says, don't, don't you know that I can, you know, I have the authority to have you executed or not? And Jesus says, uh, you wouldn't have any authority unless it was given to you from above. And so this is a symbol of God, uh, of, uh, of the doctrine of, of God giving the authority to people, even if they're not faithful, even if they're Christian, that he still rules through governments in his, uh, in his left-handed kingdom, something we'll talk about later on in the semester. And uh, Jesus, uh, Pilate answers, oh, so you are a, a king then. I mean, I'm skipping some parts here, but, um, and, and Jesus says, um, but I'm not that kind of king. I'm summarizing here, right? Um, and so uh, Pilate still is frustrated. He can't find anything to condemn Jesus. His wife is taking a nap and she has a terrible dream. And remember, students' dreams were a big deal in the ancient world and have nothing to do with this guy. And so uh, Pilate's going back into the crowd and saying, this man's innocent. I don't know what you want me to do. And finally, uh, the crowd says, crucify him and put the blame on us and on our children, they say, which is a kind of a kind of a powerful thing to say. Um, they're saying to Pilate, this is really important to us. And so Pilate comes out and washes his hand of it, quite literally brings out a bowl and washes his hand as if you could wash away the guilt, right? And finally, he hands over Jesus to be crucified. I, I kind of muffed that whole uh, Pilate thing. What, you want to add something to, uh, to Jesus and Pilate, something that um, would be profound? 
Nothing profound. Just he gets he's condemned by both state and church. So, um, both uh, of the kingdoms or spheres or realms in w- through which God governs the world, um, which is given for our blessing and which are meant to promote good and punish evil. With the case of the state, and to po- uh, point to the Messiah in the case of the church, botch it. They mess yeah. it up. And so, yeah, I mean, I Pilate does come across better in the Gospels than if you study him in history and kind of learn more about him. Uh, but uh, but I think, uh, you know, put yourself in his shoes. You don't understand these Jews and their religion and what in the world's going on. And Jesus' behavior is odd. <clears throat> I mean, compared to what most, even if I were there for something I had done, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I did it. Right. You know, um, so I, I I think it's understandable. He's yeah. a little confused. We forgot one one important one. Uh, at the time of the Passover, it was remember this is the the big event, the <laughs> Passover event. People from all over the world have come there. And at this Passover event, it was the custom of the Roman ruler to allow one political prisoner to go free as a goodwill gesture to the Jewish people. Um, and and this is this. You know, think uh, like uh, prisoner swaps today or something like that. And so Pilate says, "Okay, I, I know I can, I can get out of this. I I will uh, get a notorious criminal named Barabbas, and I'll say I'll give you a choice: either release Barabbas, who had led an insurrection, not uh, not a very favorable guy here, or I will uh, uh, release Jesus, who is called King of the Jews." Um, and so Pilate's still kind of sticking it to the people, right? You know, uh, he doesn't have to say king of the Jews there. And, and later he calls Jesus the king of the Jews by putting that sign above the cross. Um, and he says, well, hopefully they'll, they'll just let uh, Jesus go because that he, he's a peaceful man. But the people want Barabbas to be released instead. And in great uh, kind of a mob mentality, start yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And the symbolism there, of course, is that we're Barabbas, right? We're set free, and Jesus goes, goes to the execution. Now, he is going to be handed over to the soldiers. He's whipped. He's mocked um, since he is so-called king of the Jews. Uh, they put a crown of thorns instead of gold on him and would have embedded the crown, uh, that, those thrones into his head. And so he's bleeding from the head. You know, he's got a head wound. This is not an uh, insignificant thing. You think of, of Genesis? The, the curse Adam receives as thorns, yep. and now Adam, or Jesus wears, as the new Adam wears that curse. They put a faded uh, soldier's coat on him, which would, uh, they would have been red in Rome, but a faded uh, coat would have looked like pink, which would have also been kind of a soft purple. Purple would have been the, the color of royalty, because the purple dye in the ancient world was very rare and hard to get. Only the elite could get it. And so uh, they give him a limp reed instead of a golden scepter to hand, and they mock him for being king of the Jews. So he's embarrassed. He has not slept for a while. He has gone through some pretty stressful stuff, both spiritually and physically. He has been beaten to the point where he is deformed. Uh, he, you would not maybe have recognized him as at first, even if you knew him, because he's puffed up, because he's bloody and all those things. He's got stripes on his back. Think of the horrific pictures of um, 
of uh, African slaves in the South in the uh, you know 17, 16, 16, 17, and 1800s. Um, these big scars on the back. He would have had those if he would have had if he would have recovered and lived a normal life after that. Um, he um, is then led down what we call the Via Dolorosa, the Way of Sorrows. He stumbles under the weight of his cross. Remember, remember, remember Isaac carrying the wood to his own execution on that same mountain. This is a, this is kind of a picture that is being fulfilled. Um, people cry for him. He says, don't cry for me, cry for yourself, right? Um, uh, and he gets out into this this little hill on the western side of Jerusalem called Golgotha, the place of the skull. We're not quite sure why it's called the place of the skull. Maybe the rock formation looked like a skull, or this is where other executions had been occurred, so this is a place of death. We do know that it was on the main road, and, and this is what Romans would have done. Crucifixion for the Romans was a propaganda thing. We're going to put this person out there. We are going to look at, we're going to portray him as a curse. We're going to portray him as somebody who got what he deserved. And uh, it's going to be a horrific death. And the message is don't mess with the Romans, right? Uh, we're not just going to execute somebody. We're going to torture them. And so uh, he is visible for all and people are going to mock him on the way to Jerusalem. He is nailed to the cross. Just imagine uh, nails going through your hands and your feet. He uh, is then lifted up in the cross. It probably would have been a hole there, um, the right size of like whatever, a six by six or whatever they're using. And so you can imagine being nailed and then the, the, the people pull the ropes maybe and pull him up and then boom, down into, into that hole, into place. You can imagine how painful that would have been when he's going down and then it suddenly stops um, with the nails in his hands. Um, it's the middle of the day. He is there. Everybody is going to mock him. There the soldiers are, and um, they uh, gamble for his clothes. He had an undergarment that was uh, precious because it was woven in, in, into, it was one, one thing woven together. They gamble for his clothes. They don't want to tear it and take this, uh, this precious cloth uh, and divide it up between them. So they gamble for it, fulfilling a prophecy of the Old Testament. He speaks a few words from the cross. Um, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So even in his agony, he is, he, is, he is forgiving them, his own brothers who have betrayed him. He is asking for forgiveness there. He says, I am thirsty. He asks for something. He gets wine vinegar or gall uh, uh, to, to quench his thirst, to kind of ease the pain a little bit. Um, he talks to the thief. We have two thieves that have been crucified with him. One, both of them are guilty, but one is repentant. The other one is not. One says, why can't you get us down if you truly are this, uh, the son of God? The other one says, shut up. We are getting what we deserve. Um, but this man did nothing wrong. And the man asks Jesus in this passionate petition, you know, remember me. And Jesus says, today, as in right now when we die, you are going to be in paradise with me. I will see you today there. He does cry out in Psalm 22 fashion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me and forgotten me? And that's powerful because when he says that, what that means is God has not forsaken us. He has turned his back on his son, on himself, instead of on us. Another picture of Jesus taking our place. He says to Mary, uh, who is this with their with his uh, closest apostle John? Here is your son, and John here is your mother. Take care of my 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 mother here. Um, uh, it seems to me that Joseph probably has already passed away, and so she is a widow there. 
Um, there's a lot going on there. Finally, he says, um, um, into your hands I commit my spirit, and there he dies. And uh, he says, it is finished. Tetelestai is the one Greek word that the translation we get, um, and it means it is finished as the job is done. Salvation is complete. Payment is made for the forgiveness of sins. This is the Lamb of God. The, the picture of the Old Testament is finally fulfilled there. And that one word, Tetelestai, how powerful that is, that it is finished. Uh, there is nothing more to be done. When he dies, the sky turns uh, 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 black. Um, there's an earthquake, and many dead people of, from, from the past, holy people, um, are resurrected. And the temple curtain tears in two. So students, if you remember, we talked about the <coughs> temple quite a bit, and that there was the holy place and the most holy place. And in the most holy place, that was kind of where... God's throne was. This is where, where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where the presence of God was. And only the high priest could go and only once a year could go into that, into that room. And so there was barriers keeping us from, the, um, from access to God. But now that Jesus has died and paid the price for sins, we have access to God. And that temple curtain uh, miraculously tears in two when he dies. And, and during this great scene, even a Roman soldier says, truly, he was the, the son of God. So we got a lot going on there in, in this uh, three-hour period where he is being crucified. Um, after he dies, he is taken down um, from the cross. Um, oh, we forgot one thing. Uh, the, the, uh, after uh, the thieves and, and Jesus are all up there for a while, the soldiers are going to enhance the death. You know, we, we've we've done enough propaganda for the day, and so what they would do is they would break the bones, like uh, just a, in, a, in a barbaric way. You know, we we would think about like a baseball bat or something that they would take and they would slam on the knees and the shins and the thighs of the of the person being crucified, and then they could no longer kind of prop themselves up, and then they would basically suffocate because they couldn't hold themselves up and they would be hanging there and there um, they wouldn't be able to breathe anymore. Jesus probably phys physically maybe died of shock already. And so when the soldiers come to Jesus, they notice he's already dead. And so they don't break his bones. And remember that that was fulfilling the uh, prophecy that uh, Jesus wouldn't have any broken bones. And, and the lambs that were to be sacrificed would have no broken bones. They wouldn't be the, uh, uh, the, the, the runts of the, of the, uh, the flock, the ones that, that are no good anymore. God wanted his best because he was going to give us his best at the cross. And so instead of that, he is speared in the side. And when he is speared in the side, that's a fulfillment of, of Isaiah chapter uh, 52, the suffering servant, that, um, <clears throat> that he is going to be speared that way. And what comes out from him is water and blood. And we're told water and blood probably, you know, physically got into his heart. And there's a sack around there that has water there. We think maybe that's the, the possible reason. But symbolically, it uh, historically has been seen as baptism and Holy Communion, right? Blood, Holy Communion, and water baptism. That these are the things that God now pours out for us. He pours out for us. Um, when he is taken down from the tomb, the fancy word is the deposition of Christ. 
We have this character, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a part of the leading council of the Sanhedrin, but uh, was a believer in Christ and, and maybe didn't stand up like he should have maybe uh, against uh, uh, the people who are trying to crucify him in the, in the leadership of the Jewish people. But he's a rich man and he has a tomb that has never been used. Um, and he has enough money to uh, embalm Jesus, uh, to put aloes there. And, and these burial customs are kind of weird for us, but let's, let's just talk that through a little bit. Um, uh, you know, by the fourth day, they, the people knew that uh, people would, the body would stink, so they try to cover that up with perfume. And uh, he has given quite a bit of expensive perfume for this very special barrier, burial. Also, uh, this burial site probably would have been like a kind of a cave, and it was not unusual to have like a family cave, right? So grandma dies, and then, uh, you know, when grandpa dies, they're laid together with their ancestors quite, quite literally, and you may even push the dead bones of the previous generation back into the cave, right? But uh, Jesus needs a, a, a virgin tomb. He goes from a virgin womb to a virgin tomb. Uh, he's not going to be buried with the dead that way, and he's not going to stay dead. He is going to be resurrected. The tomb is secured, and this is kind of important. Um, uh, the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus claimed resurrection, right? He said, Jesus often said, don't you know that the Son of Man must be, uh, suffer many things at the hands of men and, and be crucified and be, be buried, but on three days would, would rise again. And so uh, not trusting in this promise, the Jewish leaders would say, oh, I, there's going to be a hoax. Someone's going to steal the body and pretend that Jesus was alive, which makes no <coughs> sense. Why would they do that, right? They gain nothing from that ruse. We'll talk about that later when we get into resurrection apologetics later in the semester. Um, but they want to cover their bases, and so they ask that Pilate uh, secure the tomb, put some guards there, roll a big stone in front, and seal the tomb. So that's important because um, Jesus is going to get out, right? Um, and he's, gonna, he's going to break through these physical barriers in a way. All right, that was too fast. That was way <coughs> too fast. You want to add something before we, we close out this session? I think it was good. I have a feeling if I... Add anything at this point, it would be a, a tangent. <laughs> a tangent, that's okay. So uh, the things to remember, uh, things of the things that Jesus said on the cross, think about his passion in Gethsemane. Think about the details of his death, that um, um, he was betrayed. 30 pieces, 30 pieces of silver. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They gamble for his clothes. He speared into the side. These are all prophecies that are fulfilled. We also have the typological, the types of Christ, the typological uh, prophecies that are fulfilled. Um, the curtain separating two, uh, symbolizing access <coughs> to the Father through Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through the high priest because Jesus is our high priest and he is true God. Um, Think about uh, not having broken bones and that kind of the symbolism of the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb. Think of all these things as you recount uh, the passion of Christ. Well, thanks for listening. That was way too fast. Uh, we tried to get through all of that uh, because it's a lot of material. Make sure you have read those things, dear students, um, and get those details down. They're really, really important, and it's the highlight of the Christian faith, and the, and the whole Bible has been geared up to this one event. Next time, we'll talk about the resurrection and we'll talk about um, a little bit of Pentecost and then we'll we'll finish um, with the Acts of the Apostles a little bit as well. Until then, let the bird fly.